Well, if you're looking for Mark Crane this morning, I'm not Mark. And uh, I'm Gary Post. I'm the associate pastor here. Mark and Laura Lee are up north celebrating their 31st wedding anniversary. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and you got the second string today. Fortunately for you, the Holy Spirit can make anybody look good. Let's pray a moment that he does that. Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to meet as God's people, to, to worship together with you. We thank you for the, uh, Michael and the others who brought us into the presence of God. And we ask that you'd continue that as, as we look into your word. Our brother Dallas Willard has said that the most important thing that happens to a message is between the time it leaves the speaker's lips and the times it the time it reaches the hearer's hearts. And we pray that your spirit would do his work in that way this morning. And that you touch each heart uh, precisely and uniquely as uh, you have purpose to do this morning. And that you change us all just a little bit more into the image of Jesus Christ as a result. We ask these things in the powerful name of our Savior. Amen. Well, uh, I like that video because it... Uh, it is indicative of a way a, a lot of people in uh, American churchdom in particular look at the church. And we look at it as, uh, as consumers sometimes, I think. And uh, much like we would approach a, a, um, a fast food place or uh, any other business that we do, that we uh, expect service from, and, and we graded based on the quality of the service we get. Uh, I call those uh, churchgoers the, the short order churchgoers in, in America. They, they approach it like uh, consumers. They want their religion packaged attractively and entertainingly and concisely and in a, in a way that, that leaves them feeling good about themselves. They want to make sure that their, their uh, eternal fire insurance is up to date and so they, they stop in uh, periodically, they give a, a, a intellectual assent to the concept of an historical Jesus. That is, that Jesus lived and, and died. Uh, but that's where it, it stops. They think that they're covered. They stop into church once a week like a gas station to get a spiritual fill-up. Uh, but for many American churchgoers, it's all about me and what my needs are and whether that, that uh, church meets my needs. And if it doesn't makes my, meet my needs or is inconvenient or uncomfortable, makes me uncomfortable in some way, then I'll move on. And, uh, and so we have uh, folks who sometimes uh, bounce from church to church to church and just never seem to find a fit. Um, reminds me of the story about the guy who was on a, a, stranded on a desert island for a, a 12 years and, and finally he was rescued and, and was conducting a, a tour of the island for his rescuers and uh, pointed out the various buildings he had built during that time. He said, well, over here is my uh, combination school and library. This is where I do my studying. This is my home. This is where I live. This is my workshop over here. This is where I, I do my work from day to day. And, and this building over here is my church. And uh, one of the rescuers said, well, what's the other building be, behind that one? And, and he said, oh, that. That's the church I used to go to. <laughs> church is not simply a, a, another 
organization we belong to, like a school or a company or, or a golf league. It's rather a, a living organism made up of individual believers in Jesus Christ, which God intends to, to use to carry out his eternal purposes in this world. That, that's what church is, is about. And, and it is important to, to attend a church where the Bible is taught faithfully and where you can find fellowship, where you can connect into fellowship and use your gifts as, as part of the body of Christ. I don't want to minimize that. That is, that is important. But when we approach it like consumers, we're likely never to find a fit because there is no perfect church, is there? It's, it, they're all made up of human beings. The, the church is not a, a country club for holy people. The, the church is an ER for broken people and wounded people. Uh, that's, why, that's why we're here. We recognize our woundedness. We recognize our insufficiency apart from Christ. Well, who invented the church anyway? Well, I, you know, a group of guys didn't just cook this up on a Saturday night. Uh, Jesus himself uh, said that it was uh, God's plan. The church was God's idea from eternity past. He says in Matthew 16, which uh, Michael uh, read a part of, he said uh, he was doing this little, Jesus was doing his uh, little training session for his apostles, and he, or his disciples, and he, and he said, well, who do people say that I am? And they all gave a, a different uh, flavor of what uh, people said he was. And then, well, who do you think I am? Uh, that's the heart of it. And, and uh, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you, you uh, bind on earth will be bound, shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, the, the word that Jesus uses for church here is the, is the Greek word ecclesia, which means the, an assembly of those who have been called out. The assembly of, of called out ones. Well, what does it mean to be called out? What are we called out from? What are we called out to? Well, Peter tells us that in, in 1 Peter 2, 8 through 10, he, he says, but you are a chosen race. Now, he's talking about you and me here. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This is the purpose for which he's chosen us so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of, out of darkness into his great light. You see, that's, that's the purpose for which we exist as a church. Now, Mark Kring, in the study on the, the uh, Gospel of John, what he shared with us is that Jesus is here to explain God. Jesus came to explain God in the Gospel of John. In, in the same way, God's mission for the church as the, as the corporate Christ, as the physical manifestation of Jesus in this world now uh, is to explain God and the attributes of God to the world that, that we lived in, that we live in. In other words, we've been called out of the darkness of sin and ignorance and death and into the light of the grace of God so that we can provide an object lesson to the world. As they look at us, they can see what God looks like and, and what his attributes look like, what, what his love looks like. And, and we've also been given authority, as, as Jesus said here, we've, we've been given authority as the church. God, God's church is, is God's instrument in this world to accomplish his purposes. So he, he said, even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, or the gates of death, or the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. And there, there, is a, uh, there are a lot of modern-day examples of that. One in particular that I'm going to draw your attention to 
is in the People's Republic of China. Those of you who are awake in history class remember that Mao Zedong was the, uh, the head of the People's Republic of China since um, it was established in 1949 until his death in 1976. Uh, you also remember perhaps that he was a brutal dictator, killed hundreds of thousands of people, and, and was an ardent atheist. And one of the things that he did during his, his uh, tenure there was to wipe out all the Christian seminaries in the country, burned all the books, destroyed all the buildings of all the Christian seminaries in the, in the country of China. And he declared at that time that Christianity had been eradicated, that it would never again exist in China. Well, that was, uh, and he died in 1976. Well, less than 40 years later, in Tiananmen Square, on Easter Sunday of 2009, that banner you see with the picture of Chairman Mao was actually replaced with the likeness of Jesus Christ. And the inscription next to it was, He is risen. That was, that was less than 40 years after Mao died. And God looks down from above when a, a dictator says something like that and scripture tells us he laughs uh, because he's outlasted everyone. And, and uh, in China, uh, right now, there, there is... Uh, an explosion of Christianity. That is, um, there are over 100, conservative estimates are that there are over 130 million Christians in China right now and that the church is expanding at the rate of, conservatively again, at the rate of 50,000 a day. Now it's a country of a, a billion people, so it's a big country. But Christianity is exploding exponentially and that isn't the only place. Very soon China will have the the most Christians in its population of any country in the world. And they're increasingly having a greater and greater influence in China. God has favored many of the Chinese industrialists who are ardent uh, believers in Jesus Christ. And they've been given favors so that their uh, businesses and industries are, are expanding. They're openly preaching the gospel in their factories. And the, uh, the authorities in China aren't doing anything about it because they recognize that, that uh, these guys have something going for them. And, and these, uh, these men and women are open about their allegiance to Christ. It's changing the landscape in China. China isn't the only place. Well, here's a homework assignment for you. When you go home today, you don't hear about this in the mainstream media. When you go home today, uh, Google Christianity in Iran. Find out what's happening in Iran. The house church movement is exploding. In uh, October of 2010, the Ayatollah Khomeini declared Christianity enemy number one in in. Uh, in uh, Iran and began persecuting and arresting Christians and pastors and throwing them in jail. Some are still in, in jail. And uh, God used that as his, as his cue to begin an explosion in the underground churches in, in Iran. There, there are thousands of people coming to, to Christ in Iran uh, every week. Here's another story out of... Uh, it's interesting how God is working even in some of the darkest and the most closed places to the gospel on the planet. Some of you are familiar with what used to be Burma and now is Myanmar. And uh, Dick Eastman in the, in the magazine Prayer Connect, he's talking about the explosion of Christianity in the, in the world right now. He shares this example from uh, Burma. He says that there's this Burma, Burmese monk, picture this. In the monastery there's this Burmese monk uh, meditating in front of the statue of Buddha. <clears throat> and uh, suddenly he hears an audible voice that says, 
go find Jesus. And his first response is, who's Jesus? And, and, and then he hears the voice again, go find Jesus. So he goes to his supervisor in the monastery and said, uh, Buddha just told me to find Jesus. And the supervisor says, who's Jesus? So, so the, I, he says, I don't know, but I, I feel like I need to go find him. So he leaves the monastery. He, he heads down the, the mountain. First village he comes to, there's a banner outside the village that says, see Jesus here today. He goes into the village, and, and it, as it happens, there's a, uh, an evangelism team there showing the Jesus film in his own language. He, he sits down, he watches the film. God touches his heart. He comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, this former Burmese monk is now an evangelist uh, for the one who died for him, leading others to Christ. You can imagine those conversations when he begins to talk about Jesus. There's a lot of this, who's Jesus in Burma? But uh, that's changing as God is exploding the, the church there. And that's happening all over the world right now. So who makes up the church? God's church can't be stopped. Who makes up the church? Well, the genuine followers of Jesus Christ from the beginning of time until the end of time. And Paul tells us what that looks like. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3, that uh, the church, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified or made holy, in other words, there's a spiritual transaction that takes place in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every, every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. That's a, that's a description of who's in the church. Notice that Paul didn't say here, uh, the people that are in the church are those who show up on Sunday morning or Saturday night or, or whenever. And that is because many casual churchgoers in America in particular, elsewhere as well, are not part of the church of God. They're not part of the invisible church that God sees of all believers all time uh, because they have merely an intellectual understanding of Jesus' life and death. Yes, they, they assent to the fact that he was a historical figure who lived and died, uh, but they have not, uh, and they're going through the religious motions. They show up at church once in a while, you know, uh, once a week, once a month, twice a year, whatever it is, and uh, kind of pay their dues, and, and they, they think that they're, they're covered, uh, but make no mistake, simply spending time in church will not make you a, a follower of Jesus Christ, will not make you a Christian, any more than spending significant time in your garage will make you a Buick or a Chevy. It just, it just doesn't work that way, does it? It involves more than just accepting that Jesus Christ lived and died as a historical fact. We need to understand in our heart that our sin put him on the cross, that God provided that provision for us, that sacrifice for us, in, in order to, to take care of the problem of our separation from God. And that when we repent from our sin and we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, uh, God comes into our heart, into our lives, begins to transform us from the inside out. That's the, tr the spiritual transformation that has to take place in a person's life in order for them to be a child of God. And Romans, or excuse me, John 1.12 tells us, but to as many as received him, uh, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, it's the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, uh, Jesus said about the Pharisees, they, they knew about God better than anybody. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're out of luck. Satan himself uh, concedes that Jesus lived and died, that he was a historical figure. 
Uh, but that's, that's not enough, obviously. So what's God's perspective on what his church should be and do? Well, the church is the body of Christ, first of all. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 4 through 8, for just as we have many members, he uses the metaphor of a human body here. For just as we have many members in one human body, all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. He who teaches, in his teaching. He who exhorts, that is, encourages, reproves, corrects. Uh, with, he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The, the metaphor of the human body is used because the church is a living organism, not a human organization. An organization is a group of people assembled by people to accomplish a human purpose. But the church of God is an organism assembled by God to accomplish his purposes in, in this world. Very, very different. Though we, uh, through, the, through the body of Christ, we remain connected with each other and, and with Christ who is our head and, and our source of life. You notice that all of us have different gifts. Uh, and in fact, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul tells us, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good in the body of Christ. That is, each one of us, you and I, have one, when we came to Christ, uh, each one of us received one or more spiritual gifts that God has given us in order to help build up the body of Christ. You may or may not yet know what those are. And you may or may not be using them in the body of Christ. But that's one of the purposes. And the body isn't working right until we all discern what our gifts are. We develop them. Sometimes they have to be developed. They're not immediately evident. But then we begin to use those, those gifts to help everyone else around us mature, to minister to everyone else. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. The church also gathers for teaching, for prayer, for worship, and for the, the uh, sacraments. That is the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. Paul tells us that uh, God actually commands us to do that, to, to get together, to, to strengthen us and bring us to spiritual maturity. He says in Hebrews uh, 10, 24, and 25, I say Paul wrote that. Uh, actually, there's some disagreement about who wrote Hebrews, but um, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as it is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some folks think that the, church, the purpose of the church is to assimilate information. We come here for kind of a download uh, of the Bible, you know, and now uh, we learn more about God. We learn more about uh, Christianity. Um, and that's not really it at all. It, it's about spiritual maturity. You can get information by yourself in the middle of the night off the internet. You cannot come to spiritual maturity apart from the body of Christ. That can only happen in community. Why? Because we have to see each other model suffering. We have to see each other model persistence under hardship and perseverance under hardship. We have to see each other model sacrifice and the expression of Christ's love and service and all those other things you can only see modeled in a community of believers. That's why God calls us together. This is important. When we gather for the ministry of worship and the ministry of God's word, we enter the presence of God. And um, 
in America generally, there is a, there is a casual approach to church on Sunday morning, kind of like the golf league. Well, if it's raining or I don't really feel like going this time, I'll let, I'll let them put in a sub for me, you know. Well, we can't do that in the body of Christ. When one part is not here and working in the way it's supposed to, the body of Christ does not work in the, in the way it's supposed to. Some of you know, especially some of you of my age and, and older, know what happens when one part of your body stops working. The, the rest of it doesn't work very well either. And, and so we need everybody in the body of Christ to contribute to, to work together. And, and uh, when we get together on Sunday morning, that is important because it is a time when we enter into the presence of God and God has the opportunity to transform us. That is to, to change us into the image of Christ incrementally. You can't come into the presence of God without being changed. Nobody ever has. That's what happens to us on Sunday morning through worship, the ministry of the Word, and our interaction with each other as members of the body of Christ. So it's important to, to, uh, uh, to respect that and to uh, consider that important. Um, now, some might say, well, is that, isn't that kind of legalistic to say, well, you really need to be in church on Sunday morning, you know? Um, no, because, because of this reason. You know, you're, you're under, yes, we are under grace. And those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven and you're justified once for all. You're declared not guilty once for all. Praise God for that. And your sins, past, present, and future are covered. This is not about that. This is about the admonition that Paul gives us to, in Colossians where he says, walk worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and live, li- live lives that are pleasing to him. This is about the admonition in 1 Corinthians 6 where he tells us that you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And therefore, glorify God with your body. Even once we're, once we're believers, we can make choices that are either pleasing or not pleasing to God. So you decide. I'm not going to tell you what to decide. That's between you and God. We're all accountable for those kinds of decisions. But I'm going to suggest that um, if the Sunday morning decision is, well, let's see, I could go to church and spend time in the presence of God with the people of God, or I could go to Starbucks and enjoy the Sunday paper. I'm just going to suggest to you that you weigh those two things in terms of what would be pleasing to God. You decide that. And, and, then, uh, and then do whatever you think God is, is leading you to do. The church also comes together to, to bear each other's burdens, and Paul encourages us to do that in Galatians 6. This is an important reason why we're part of the body of Christ. He says, uh, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ that is the law of love in Galatians 6.2. How do we know what burdens others are carrying, folks? Unless we're present with them, we're rubbing shoulders with them from day to day in the body of Christ. We don't. Uh, Trust me, in a group this size, there are many, many people who are lonely, who are discouraged, who uh, are experiencing the brokenness of relationships, who uh, have prodigal children that they're concerned about, that they're praying about, who are weighed down because they've lost a job, or they just feel discouraged. And, and uh, we can come alongside those folks. And, and it is our, our role as believers in the body of Christ to come alongside those folks and to, and to lift them up. Don't wait for the church to do something. You are the church. I, I am the church. And uh, fortunately, a lot of that kind of stuff happens in this church. Not long ago, a dozen guys uh, showed up at one of our widows' houses to spread mulch around. Some of you here were, were there. Spread mulch around when she couldn't do that herself. 
And it, it had an impact on her neighborhood. She emailed me afterwards and said, my neighbors are in awe that these guys showed up and just took care of business. And it was a blessing for those guys. There is no blessing like being used by God to accomplish his purpose. That's exciting, and I could see it in the faces of the guys. Uh, similar experience, a dozen guys showed up to move one of our families not long, not long ago. Same experience. It was an exciting time. It was a blessing not only for that family, but it was a blessing for the guys who were involved. They felt like they were being used by God to accomplish something important. Some of you beat me down to the hospital when somebody's sick. You beat me down to the hospital, and that's good. Because you see yourself as the body of Christ, you recognize that one of your gifts is you can be there to comfort and encourage, and you do that. And, and, and I want to encourage you to, to do more of that. One of the most important ways that uh, we can bear each other's burdens is through prayer. In, uh, in China, again, uh, there was a, a great man of God named Watchman Nee. He was born in the early 1900s, and when he was 17, he came to faith in Jesus Christ, and he began writing and preaching after that. God greatly blessed his ministry. He had these great outdoor uh, messages that he preached. Many of them are, are in, available in book form in English now. Uh, but God brought many thousands of people to Christ under, under Watchman Nee's preaching. This is what he says about prayer in the church. And by the way, he spent the last 20 years of his life in prison. Mao put him in prison. He died in 1972. He says, The prayer ministry of the church is a prayer on earth that results in a move in heaven. Prayer is for ministry and work. The prayer is the ministry of the church on earth. It is the work of the church. It is the responsibility that the church bears before God. The prayer of the church is the outlet of heaven. The prayer of the church means that when God wants to do something, the church prays about that matter first so that it can be fulfilled and God's goal can be accomplished. Watch, uh, John Wesley said pretty much the same thing in a sentence. He said, God does nothing on the earth except in response to the prayers of his people. Uh, let me encourage you. We all need to pray more as individuals, but we need to pray more as a, as a group of individuals. We need to pray more corporately for individual needs at New Hope, for people that we know that have not yet become believers in Jesus Christ. Everybody that I can think of that's come to faith in Jesus Christ in this church over the past couple years, it's been because we've prayed for them as a group of people. And God, the Holy Spirit has drawn them. You pray in line with God's will, and it's God's will that, that no one should perish. We pray in, lines with, in line with God's will, and he's going to respond. Over time, he draws people to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and we need to do that together. You know, um, some of you know that, one of my, that uh, my, my first career was with the state police. And um, one of the jobs I had within the state police was as a... Uh, as a trooper on the freeways in Detroit. I worked down there in the late 70s. And uh, we had these wonderful cars. Excuse me, ladies, I'm going to take a moment with the guys here. <laughs> we had these great cars, these great Plymouths with 440 Hemis. That is, four, 440 cubic inches, uh, four-barrel carburetor, and a Hemi head on these uh, Plymouths, and they would fly. They would do between 125 and 140, depending on the car. I see uh, some of you car guys nodding because you remember those cars. It was, uh, it was satisfying to be able to pull up alongside somebody who was doing over 100 miles an hour and uh, who thought they could outrun you, pull up alongside of them and point them over. Bite the curb, mister. You know They didn't think we could catch them. The other thing that those cars would do very well is they would push heavy objects. You know, when you're working the freeways in Detroit, <clears throat> 
um, and there's a something disrupts the traffic flow, uh, especially during rush hour, those those freeways will back up a mile a minute. They'll back up a mile for every minute that freeway is, is shut down. So it uh, it becomes essential to clear them right away. And so we very often we couldn't wait for a wrecker. We we use those cars as fortunately they were equipped with these. Uh, these huge steel cow catcher like arrangements on the front of the of the car it was a it was a crash bumper but it was great for pushing stuff and so we'd use them like bulldozers and and when there was a wreck it didn't matter whether they were it was on its wheels or on its top or whatever it, we'd push them right off the roadway so traffic could flow again well there were times folks when um, that car wasn't even that car wasn't powerful enough to push what we had to push there were times for example when we get a double bottom gravel hauler it would be stuck out on the, on the freeway, and we'd have to clear that somehow. And so uh, I'd get behind one of those vehicles. They could weigh uh, over 100,000 pounds. So I'd get behind one of those vehicles, and I'd call a buddy, and he'd get behind me. And I'd push the gravel hauler, and my buddy would push me. And, uh, and we get some momentum going, and we go up the ramp with the smoke just rolling out of the wheel wells and the engine and transmission screaming. Can you imagine what I was thinking at that time? I was thinking, I'm glad this isn't my car. <laughs> but we get that gravel hauler up onto the side street and safely out of the way. My point with all that is that sometimes we need other people. Sometimes our own prayer isn't enough for reasons we don't understand. Sometimes our own prayer won't resolve whatever it is that we're trying to resolve. We don't get the answer that we need, and we need the, the people of God to come around us and pray. Sometimes it's because your faith is so worn down. You've been at it so long, or you're so discouraged by the circumstances or by the illness or whatever it is that you find yourself struggling with that you can't do it yourself. And that's when we need to come around you as the people of God. And you need to leverage the faith of the people around you to do what you cannot do on your own in prayer. And, and God will respond to that. But we need to lift up each other's burdens in that way too. And I'd encourage you to do that. You can, you can even, I see sometimes, some of you are good at that. You know, even, we need to ask each other, what's on your heart, you know? How are you doing? And, and respond to that. And sometimes it's just, what I do many times is I put my hand on somebody's shoulder and I say, can I pray about that with you right now? We'll stop right where we are. It's in, the, it's in the auditorium here. It's back in the lobby. It's in my office. You guys feel free to use my office for that if you want to. Uh, a woman asked for prayer uh, a few weeks ago. and I, It's such a joy to be able to look around. There are several young women. Some of them were up here singing this morning. There were several young women. I just said, would you come with me? Would you come with me? Would you come with me? And I, I knew that they, that they could lift this other woman up in prayer. And, and so we, we did that. But I, I'd encourage you to do more of that. The church also offers, as we gather, protection from Satan. There's a spiritual covering that comes from being part of the body of Christ. And that's why uh, we know that's true because uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, remember the guy who was behaving badly, public sin in, in the church, Paul says, shame on you. Kick him out of the church. Let Satan knock him around for a while. And that's what Paul did. Well, you notice by, by the time 2 Corinthians rolled around, that guy had repented and he'd been restored to fellowship again. He was back in the church. 
That's because Satan comes after people who are separated from the church. There is a dangerous deception that, that Satan is circulating in the American church and, and in, in America in general, and that is that you can be a Christian without being attached to a church. That's a fallacy. That, that is a dangerous deception. And the reason why he tries to convince people of that is because it's easy to pick off the stragglers, folks. It's easy to pick off the stragglers. When you lose your connection with the body of Christ, you lose your connection with Christ as our head and the accountability that comes from being surrounded by other believers, uh, you lose that protection. One of my best friends in college was a guy named Tim. He and I were very close. And, and uh, he was a great student of the Word of God. He was a great Christian brother. Uh, we were doing life together. We were going to college together, taking it. In fact, we were both on a pre-seminary track, so we were taking our Greek and our Latin and, and uh, Dutch because it was Calvin College. And we were working our way through that stuff together and cutting classes occasionally together. And our, our wives knew each other, and we did life together. At one point in time, Tim decided for whatever reason that he became really critical of the church and said, you know, I don't think I really need to be a part of a church. And so he started doing church with his own family. And then he started doing less church with his own family. And then pretty soon, uh, and as I met with him a couple times and our lives kind of diverged, um, he became involved in all kinds of bizarre behavior that I can't even talk about here. And then I lost track of him for a few years and, and come to find out um, that uh, the Lord had taken his life. I mean, his life had ended prematurely as a, as a relatively young man. And I can only conclude, I'm just surmising here, I can only conclude God took him out before he could bring any more reproach on the name of Christ than he already had. A sad, sad story. He, he got away from the church and got away from the accountability and the support and, and, and the connection with the body of Christ that he needed uh, to stay faithful. This is nothing new. A 2002 Gallup poll says 82% of Americans can arrive, think they can arrive at their own religious views without regard to a body of believers. 82% don't need the, don't need the church. That Lone Ranger approach is, is another way of saying, I'm my own God. That's the most fundamental decision we have to make in life. Who's going to be God? Is, is God going to be God in every area of our lives? Or are we going to be God? Uh, in, in our lives. And that's just another way of saying, I'm going to be God in my own life. I'm going to decide what happens in my own life. And uh, it usually ends badly. The other reason for the church, or the third reason for the church, is that God uses the church to explain God to the world, uh, just as Jesus did in the Gospel of John. He, here's a mystery. Paul speaks about a mystery in Ephesians 3, 9 through 12. He says, God has chosen to reveal the mystery of eternal, his eternal plan through the church. He says the purpose is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. God knew about the church from eternity past. He, he says that so through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that, that is the many-faceted wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You see, Jesus explained God by, number one, speaking God's truth. Number two, by showing people the love of God in a tangible way. And mostly by, by healing people. And finally, by sacrificing his life. And he calls us as a church to do the same. 
We've got to operate in the same way. Warren Wiersbe, the, the uh, pastor, noted pastor and, and author, says lost sinners came to Jesus not because he catered to them or compromised his message, but because he cared about them. That was what was so magnetic uh, about Jesus Christ was people sensed they cared about him. We also explained God by acting as his ambassadors for the message of his reconciliation. Did you know that you were an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Paul tells us that all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through God and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was, here's the message, that God was reconciling the word to himself, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. You see, God is speaking through us as a church, through individual members of the body of Christ, and communicating this message of reconciliation to the world. And so Paul continues, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we explain God by living out the gospel through tangible demonstrations of God's love in, in this world. And God's called us to good works because that, that is the way that we can open up uh, the hearts of the individuals that, that we interact with to the, the love of Christ. Paul tells us this. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We know that part. That's old news, right? Here, here's the, the part we, we very seldom connect. <clears throat> that is, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. When we became new creatures in Christ, God built into us the capacity <clears throat> to demonstrate the love of Christ. Built into us the capacity for good works. He did that <clears throat> because he knew that demonstrating the love of Christ <clears throat> has an amazing way of opening people up to the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ. As it does in this example, Dr. Eileen Coleman is a, a woman who has been carrying out medical ministry in the Middle East for, get this, 50 years. 50 years. She says, there is a Jordanian nurse who has been with us for more than 50 years. One day, a very sick man came into the hospital covered in dirt because he had no clean water at his house to, to wash in. And as I made my rounds, I came upon the nurse in the courtyard washing the old man's feet and cutting his nails. The man's face was covered in tears. When I asked why he was crying, he said, this Christian man is showing me God in the way that he loves. A few weeks later, the old man became a believer in Jesus Christ. He said it wasn't because of the preaching he heard, but because of the love the nurse showed in washing his dirty feet. In our world too, folks, people want to see your walk <clears throat> before they'll listen to your talk. They want to see your walk before they'll listen to your talk. Take uh, Patrick Green of San Antonio, Texas who had a long history of disliking Christians. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
At one point, Green, an outspoken local atheist, threatened to sue Henderson County about the yearly manger display at the courthouse. My wife and I never had a Christian do anything nice for us, Green said in a local newspaper interview. Sounds like a kind of a crotchety old guy, huh? But all of that changed in March 2012 when the 63-year-old Green learned that he needed surgery for a detached retina. Listen to God orchestrate the events in this man's life so that he can bring him to himself. Green didn't have the money to pay for the surgery and he had to give up his cab driving job. When Jessica Cry, a member of the local Sand Springs Baptist Church, heard about Green's situation, she told her pastor, Eric Graham, who called Green. Green said, well, if you really want to contribute something, we need groceries. Green thought that if anything, he'd see $50 or at most $100. But a few days later, the church sent a check for $400. More checks soon followed. The flabbergasted Green said, I thought I was in the twilight zone. These people are acting, get this, these people are acting like what the Bible says a Christian does. Imagine that. Now rather than try to remove the manger display, Green said that he would like to add his contribution, a star for the top of the nativity scene. However, Green added, you people can figure out how to plug it in. Do you, you sense that God's at work in that guy's life? That the Holy Spirit is drawing him to himself in spite of his crotchetiness. There have been more atheists who have come to Christ in the past several years than uh, in recent recollection, I think. The church grows believers to maturity and equips them to carry out the Great Commission. Jesus gave us his marching orders in Matthew 28 where he said, as you are going, he says, go therefore and make disciples. It means as you are going about your business. It doesn't necessarily mean go to Africa. It means as you are going about your normal daily business, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Ministry is not intended to be a spectator sport. God has a role for everyone. And folks, in much of the American church, uh, people gather on Sunday mornings uh, to watch a paid lecturer give an entertaining talk and to watch uh, paid musicians, in some cases, uh, put, on, put on an entertaining performance. It's kind of a one-way. That's not what God intended for the body of Christ. It is not a spectator sport. And in fact, this is what Paul tells us about who's supposed to do the work of the ministry. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? It's you guys. It's all of us. That's right. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not one person watching everybody else. Not, not a whole bunch of people watching one person do it. But everybody in, engaged in ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. So that we may no longer be children tossed in to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is, in, who, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So we're supposed to build, its, build ourselves up as a body of Christ in maturity and in love. That's the trademark of the church. And that's a description of what's supposed to be happening in the church. 
The church also does battle with Satan, and it carries out God's kingdom purposes. You know, God's positioned us to carry out his purposes, and part of that purpose is spiritual warfare. Watchman Nee again says, and this is 50 years ago he said this, so keep that in mind. It, it could have been written yesterday. He says, a great lack among Christians today is that everyone wants to be an individual Christian, but God does not just want us to be good on an individual basis. He is after a corporate vessel that will destroy Satan and accomplish his plan. A corporate vessel that will destroy Satan. God intends for his church to be a, a weapon. One of the other jobs I had within the Department of State Police was on their SWAT team for six and a half years. I dealt with barricaded gunmen, hostage takers, fortified drug houses, uh, you name it. We diversified a little bit. Uh, but one of the most difficult situations was a hostage taking. And we knew that when we went to one of those situations that uh, it was as bad as it got because they didn't call us unless it was already kind of in the tank, you know. There were already usually multiple felonies and, and uh, there was already shooting taking place. Perhaps someone had been hit or, or killed. And so we, we knew it was a very difficult situation when we went there. And you know what it, it's like on TV when you negotiate in a hostage situation. It starts out with uh, they want a 747 and, and uh, 5 million bucks in an aluminum briefcase, you know. And, and over time, whether it's 2 hours or 6 hours or 12 hours, you kind of deal it down uh, to reality and you agree to trade them a bag of cheeseburgers for all the hostages and, and you promise not to shoot them when they come out. You know, that, that kind of thing. That, that's how it works. But sometimes the negotiations fail and you have to go in and get people out. And when we had to do that, uh, in, invariably, the, the, the people uh, that we'd get out, you know, they, they were obviously in fear for their lives and they were in a dire circumstance or we wouldn't have been there. And, and when the doors went in, and, and we went out in to get people out, very often, uh, there were, after 30 seconds of uh, smoke and noise and, and violence, the, those people were sobbing and clinging to us, and, and it was because they'd gone from death to life in those 30 seconds. You see, they thought they were going to die, and now they realized they had a second chance at, at life. We were their last best hope to live. Let me ask you something. For whom in your world are you the last best hope for them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and receive God's gift of eternal life? You see, God, God has positioned us all to do those things, to take people back from Satan's grasp. Paul tells us about the weapons. They're not 9 millimeters and M16s. They're, they're spiritual weapons. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds and take every thought. to destroy. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, it's like calling in an airstrike. We pray down God's power from heaven to destroy the deception that Satan's put in place in a person's life and to open their heart to the truth of the gospel and, and draw them in, into the kingdom. We use prayer and we use faith. We use the power of the Holy Spirit. And we use the word of God. Those are our, our weapons to take people back 
from the grasp of, of Satan. And folks, God has placed e each of us by design in a network of relationships. We're not there by accident. We're there by design in a network of relationships. And, and if you pray and ask God to lead you, he will show you who he intends for you to reach out and, and touch in a way, whether it's an act of kindness, whether it's speaking the truth of the gospel, whatever it is, he will show you who, who it is that, uh, that he wants you to impact for eternity. Okay, some practical steps real quickly. What are some takeaways? Some practical steps we can take to prepare for and engage in the battle. Get strong. Go into training by spending time with God and his word every day. Uh, the word will, will not only grow you up and mature you, it will give you the, the Holy Spirit, the tools that he needs to take those things out of our lives uh, that are not pleasing to God and, and also to equip us for, to, to engage with the people that he has put into our world for us to, to engage with. And I'd recommend that you get a, a, a study Bible. Uh, I like the ESV study Bible. And I've given you a Bible reading plan. Uh, but there are other study Bibles out there as well. They just have more resources in them. You'll grow faster because you'll understand better. Grow your prayer life, both privately and corporately, uh, in the body of Christ for those around you. And, um, and it may be that prayer is the ministry that God is calling you to. You know, we meet for prayer here on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. We, we meet uh, 45 minutes before the service, first service on Sunday morning, 45 minutes before the service on Saturday night. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do, is to be a part of that prayer ministry. At, at the very least, there are only 60 people on our, on our group uh, email prayer list right now. There should be 500. So sign up. Send, send an email. It's on the back of your bulletin. And, uh, and lift up those requests to God. Prepare yourself to share with another person who asks you how they can come to Christ. I, I included, please don't throw this away. I included it for you as a resource to you. It is a tool that God can use to prepare you to lead somebody else to Christ. And uh, you can use it to, I use uh, a tool like this, and there are many like this. This isn't the only one. But it, it conveys the, uh, the central principles that a person needs to understand to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It, it also contains uh, relevant scriptures that you can use. And, and the Word of God has power in people's lives. You can use them uh, to... Uh, to draw people to Christ. So hang on to that, review it, and, and uh, prepare yourself for this. Peter says, always be prepared to give to everyone an answer regarding the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior may be ashamed of their slander. You don't have to be a theologian, folks. You don't have to uh, make complex theological arguments. All you have to do is Share what Jesus has meant to you from your own experience. And uh, God can use anybody. He uses ordinary people. Tony Evans says, uh, God is good at hitting bullseyes with a crooked stick. And we're, we're all crooked sticks. He can, he can use us. Become a disciple who can make other disciples. Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, replicate yourself. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Our goal for all of us is that we could, we could disciple somebody else, bring them to spiritual maturity. Ask God to make you alert where he wants, to engage in, where he wants you to engage in the battle in that sphere of influence that you have. Pray to him and ask him, who do you want me to reach out and touch? Who needs an act of kindness? Who do you need me to pray for? Who do you need me to speak to? Discover your gifts. Find a place to serve um, in, the, uh, in the body of Christ. 
Must be time to quit. One more, one more uh, story. I want to share with you an example of a, a person who, who did all, all that we've been talking about this morning, who lived out the, the love of Christ, spoke the truth of Christ, lived out the love of Christ, and sacrificed his, his life for Christ in the process. His name was uh, Father Maximilian Koba, and he was a quiet, unassuming Catholic priest with a passion for preaching the gospel and, and helping the poor in his native Poland. And when the Nazis invaded in 1939, Father Kolbe didn't do anything different. Yeah, uh, he kept uh, preaching and sharing and taking care of the poor in the area where he was. And when he refused to stop what he was doing, the uh, Nazis took notice and arrested him, put him in the dreaded uh, Auschwitz, the... Uh, the Nazi death camp. When he, uh, when he arrived there, he was told his life expectancy would be about a month. Actually, he survived much longer than that. And he began immediately ministering to his fellow prisoners in barracks 14. He prayed with them. He heard their confessions. He comforted them. And he quickly became beloved by the other men for his compassion and his demonstration of the love of Christ. One night, a prisoner escaped from barracks 14, and, and all the men there knew exactly what that meant, that all of them would be severely punished the next day uh, because that man had eluded the Nazi guards. The next day, the camp commandant lined up all the prisoners in the yard and selected 10 who would be sentenced to the worst pos possible punishment, that is, confinement in the starvation barracks until they literally starved to death. When the 10 prisoners were selected, one of the men, prisoner number 5659, began sobbing, my poor wife, my poor children, what will they do? Just as the Nazis were about to march the 10 men off to their deaths, another of the prisoners, number 16670, spoke up. Wait, he said, I'd like to die in place of one of those men. Now normally, he would have been shot on the spot but the commandant wanted to see who this crazy person was. And so he called him forward. And the other prisoners gasped to learn that their shepherd, Father Kolba, had volunteered to take the place of prisoner number 5659. When the commandant learned he was a Catholic priest, he contemptuously granted his request and ordered him to his death. In the days that followed, something unusual happened within the death barracks that was usually the source of agonized shrieks and the cries of dying men. Instead, from within those grim walls came the faint sounds of singing because their shepherd was leading them gently through the valley of death and pointing them toward the great shepherd. Perhaps for that reason, Father Colbert was the last to die. You might ask, whatever happened to prisoner number 5659? Well, his name was Franciszek Gowanacek, and he survived Auschwitz. For 53 years, until his death at age 95, he joyously told everyone he could about the man who had died in his place. His children, grandchildren, their children, honored the memory of Father Maximilian Kolbe, that humble Catholic priest who lived out the gospel in his love for a condemned man.
Gowanachek said that as long as he had breath, he would consider it his duty to tell others about Father Koba's heroic act of love. Friends, let me suggest that we are all prisoner 5659, aren't we? We're all condemned to death when our Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, stepped forward to take our place. Can we do less than tell everyone we know about the one who died to give us life? Let's go into the world and, and be the church that God intends us to be. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for the people of God and for what you intend to do through this church. I ask you to carry out your purposes. And I, I ask you, as Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians in, in Ephesians 1, that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That having the, hearts of our, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that, that we would know the hope to which he's called us and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. Father, empower us to be the church that you've called us to be. We ask this in, in, the, in the name of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved, loved us enough to give himself up for us. Amen.